Have you ever been plunged under the surface of your conscious life and found yourself all at sea? My Jungian therapist said to me that this breakdown was the best thing that had ever happened to me. If you haven't been keelhauled by life, then you're not living. Welcome to the Anxious Poets podcast with Adrian Scott, the Anxious Poet. But now, the sun aches over the tree line. This thing of darkness, I acknowledge mine. Reworking the territory of the past, exposing that the presence in loss is the impudent sprouting of a new life. Speaking lines gleaned from a dark and no-mooned night when only my pen knew its way. There is a certain kind of vow no one can make for you. It is the vow of vulnerability. Poetry, anxiety and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. Welcome to the 14th episode of the Anxious Poets podcast. I'm Adrian Scott, I am the Anxious Poet, and in this podcast I'm joined by Fiona Watson, a mindfulness practitioner from Sheffield, who I've come across in various um, parts of my work around the city, and we've become friends, but she also um, has done some one-to-one work with me, helping me befriend my anxiety and, and find a curiosity about where it arises and interestingly not to meditate it out of existence but actually to learn a way of finding stillness that holds all that uncertainty. She has had her own journey and that's what we'll explore in this in this podcast. You can find more about her at fionawatsonmindfulness.com. Thanks for listening. Um morning Fiona. So thanks for being willing to do this, be on my podcast, the Anxious Poets podcast, Um, looking at anxiety, vulnerability and poetry. Um, I wanted to start by reading a poem Um, and it's indirectly about anxiety. It's um, it's called Easdale Tarn, which is a a lake in the Lake District. <coughs> excuse me, above um, Grasmere, where Wordsworth lived, and I'd gone on a retreat to a Quaker place in Grasmere, and it was with a good friend of mine who was a priest called Daniel O'Leary, and he was. Um, doing a four-day retreat about the present moment and how God is all around us and all of this kind of stuff. And I got there, and on the journey up, I started to feel anxious and tense, and I didn't know why. 
And the first night we were there, I had a really bad night's sleep, I had a really weird dream. <clears throat> and I remember walking down from my room to the to where we were doing the sessions, and there was a, a sheep with um, a rook on its head pecking it. And it just felt like that's how I feel. <laughs> Apparently, they pick off the ticks, and it's quite a good thing, but <laughs> it, it just, it just, encapsulated how I felt so after two days of feeling increasingly um, anxious and unsettled we had a, a, an afternoon off and I asked the guy at the Quaker Centre whether there was a walk I could do and he said oh yeah you go up to Easdale Tarn it's not too far take your camera it's beautiful and it was a day like this today hot humid <clears throat> so I um, got my stuff together, off I went. What he didn't tell me was that it was a massive incline to this place. So I, a couple nearly stopped on the way up to give me um, heart massage because I was puce in the face and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> but anyway, I got to the top and, and it was a stunning. It is the most stunning vista you can see the tarn and it's like a, a mirror. And then you look back down over Grasmere. So this is this is the piece I wrote. I came back from High Easdale Tarn, having walked off all my ingratitude. A spark of sheep with earthen smell, the lone herdwit greenly chewing, willing to absorb all those spines that needle me into its own dusky pelt. The tarn when I reached it, rippled with my own stillness and then settled into the flawless reflection of the crag. On the way down again, I spilled over into the waterfall, old griefs, ones I usually pinch back in my throat, leading to misery's heartburn. The winding dry stone wall, greyly slate-driven, led me down carefully into the field where the cows lay, herdwise, in the heat, sighing cuddily. A mother beast lay her brow softly on the brown vastness of her bull as they mothered and fathered me in the afternoon's milky haze. The bridge over the final beck smoothed its slatened flags towards the little red postbox, and I composed all my letterly regrets to those I bruise and a long missive of frustration to one whose help didn't. But that one was really a letter to myself. I felt the path wandering under my feet if its directness had been too brutal. But the gate to the road opened and welcomed all the scuffs my boots wear. I came back from High Easdale Tarn and my teacup was white like a new page. I came back from High Easdale Tarn and my teacup was white like a new page. Wow. So the, in that piece, there's that experience of being full of anxiety and, and feeling troubled. And somehow that walk, the natural world absorbed so much of it. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then that post box made me think of all the people that 
when I'm like that, I bruise because I'm so on edge. And then just this person who I thought hadn't helped me, but actually it was a letter to myself because they had really helped me. I just didn't get it. Yeah. <clears throat> and then that sense that all the scuffs my boots wear are welcome. Um, and, and, and I literally got back, wrote that down, and I was trying to think of the last line. And I was drinking a cup of tea, and it suddenly dawned on me that, that I felt like I turned the page. I'd got a new... Yeah. So I, I read that, not just to talk about myself, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but also as a way of introducing you, Fiona, yeah. mindfulness person, um, because my experience of you, mm. having, we've done some sessions together and we're friends, um, is of someone who understands some of that world. I am fascinated to know why you understand some of that world. What what led you to doing mindfulness work with people, and 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 what your story is a little bit. Because I I think I think we're always led to something by our own life experience. And so uh, that that was my opening gambit. Is how did you end up doing what you're doing? <laughs> Lots of reasons, I think, really. Um, you know, part of it, <clears throat> part of it is, um, there's part of it that I think is, is, is health um, related. And then there's part of it which is far deeper than that. Um, And I think, I suppose what I'm trying to do is bring those two things together. Um, I do the things that I do now, which is, um, you know, trained a setback from my role as a teaching as a, as a primary school teacher of 20 years to, to retrain, to, to do this. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, um, I just, I went as far as I wanted to go with that and I didn't step back from it because I was stressed, which is what might seem the obvious thing. Mm. Um, but I think it was just that I w- there was a recognition that I'd gone as far as I wanted to go with it. Yeah. Um, and there was something else that I felt I could be more of service um, in and, and helpful to others, be more effective. And it, it was all along the lines, I think, of um, seeing people... Um, around me in that work environment who clearly were not coping mm-hmm. um, with pressure. Yeah. Um, and it was also about witnessing what happened to my dad in his in his work. Yeah. And he had to retire early and um, I knew what his work took from him in terms of <clears throat> deep giving um, of the heart and the soul 
being there for people. You know, it wasn't teaching, but there was many similarities mm. and there was that performance element. Mm. Um, and it was it's that recognition that those of us that are givers in life, we give, we give, we give. But how do we actually, um, how do we gain our sustenance? Mm. What do we do to replenish that which is is given willingly taken from us and how do we sustain that so you know I was really interested in that with my work um and and learning I think at an early age in my career to have to manage my health well which was really challenging um right never been like seriously ill Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm really fortunate but I have been ill in ways that a lot of people don't get ill right Uh, and that I think I was quite fearful of that um and I I had to learn to to manage that um and then when I when I sort of turned 40 I can remember I can remember the overwhelming feeling of burden right you know what it sounds like crazy but just of the whole world <laughs> no it doesn't sound crazy go on you know I've always just felt so deeply about everything and if it wasn't something going on in my own in my own life there was just this there was the wider world mm. issues and I actually remember feeling like this is giving me a physical pain mm-hmm. physically um there's some physical problematic thing going on here and it was all rooted in my fearfulness of the world and how it was going to manage and how it's going to come through and I mean we're seeing all of this now you know mm-hmm. and it's almost like you know well I'm not surprised because this has been coming <laughs> Um, would you say I lost my dad when I was 11 mm. and he had a stroke when I was nine yeah and it was like someone said oh by the way don't be too relaxed in the world because really bad things can happen just like that I mean my dad was watching television uh, yeah. and I remember we were it was a war program and I had drawn some pictures uh, and the music, the theme tune was Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And I went to show him the picture, and the whole side of his face had dropped, and he couldn't move. Yeah. And it just happened. And it, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It made me super sensitive. Yeah. Like hyper alert. Yeah. To the world around me, yeah. and and I also think when you when you're a child. I felt, I don't know why, but I felt somehow when he died, I was responsible. Yeah. I um, I didn't say goodbye to him properly when I left. I'd gone on holiday with my grandma and somehow I, as, as an 11-year-old, felt responsible. Yeah. And what I heard you saying was you somehow carry a sense of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. It's like a layer of skin has been removed. Yeah. Uh, is, is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Like I felt responsible. Yeah. And there was nothing that I could do about it. 
and how am I going to do this and kind of growing up just and I don't know that it is something that was put on me or told to me that I I should change the world or but just this kind of I think I even maybe said to you recently in my 20s just kind of realizing the dawning realization that oh my god I'm not going to be able to do this I can't solve poverty I can't solve racism I can't solve you know I can't solve um climate change I can't do all of these where where do I start And, and there's so many things to be involved with and child protection you know everything um people trafficking all these hideous things and I can't and I don't know. <laughs> so, so tell me about how you got to where you are now. What, what, what about mindfulness made you? Was some response to that feeling of responsibility and fearfulness about the world? Well, I had a little bit of help. <laughs> um, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> and being able to uh, being able to talk that through with somebody. Mm. Um, and it was in that quietness because it was um, an opportunity for me to be able to voice these things, but hold where somebody could hold stillness for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could be completely still and present to this as I was experiencing it as I was relaying it which was very very profound for me for somebody to hold space for you to not speak but to say talk about you know talk and to bring it into that space to bring you know this 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 experience into this space now and to talk it just your way through it really to try to articulate it and in the quietness I experienced a sense of peace that there is something that there is bigger Mm. and greater Mm. and you don't have to do this all on your own you know this isn't your this isn't your sole responsibility mm-hmm. um and there was um and I guess there was a so there was a yeah I remember that very clearly and I remember even you know as you said I remembered the music of the Beethoven I remember looking at the tree that I was looking at in the sky at this person's where I was and it was just like a burden sort of lifted um and I <clears throat> I don't know, that was part of it, Adrian. Um, but and, and, and I realised that I was being completely present, you know? Yeah. Um, I suppose in that moment, and that's what this mindfulness thing is about. It's it's about it's opening and it, it means it means clear seeing and seeing right. really as they really are, as they are in this moment without judging it. I find that really interesting because the word mindfulness there's an element in which the last thing I want to be full of is my mind. Yeah. As someone who sometimes suffers from anxiety, mm-hmm. it's my mind that's the problem. It goes, it seems to go nuts. And and 
won't stop thinking about certain things. So what did you say it actually means? Well, because that's see clearly. Yeah, that's every, everybody says that. And I think it's, it's really interesting, but the definition of that is that it is clear awakening. You I like know? that. I like that. Seeing clearly. Yeah. Seeing it as it, as it is, you know. Um, so I, I really liked also that you said someone held stillness for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is, a, is an amazing gift. Yeah. To be able to do that for someone, but also to have it done. Yeah. The poem that I read, really, that's what the natural world did. It held stillness for me. And I think this is what the natural world does for, for us, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, the, the it literally felt like, yeah. I hate that expression, literally. It, it felt like. Yeah. When I looked at the, the, the tarn, it was all rippling. And as yeah. I looked at it and calmed down, it's, it, it became absolutely mirror-like. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's what we can do for each other as well, yeah. to hold stillness so that yeah. someone can see clearly uh, where they really are. Yes. Not, uh, the, the work you and I did together, what I appreciated was that you didn't try and, I think a lot of people have the idea that these kind of, therapies and uh, techniques uh, to somehow take you away from mm. what's actually happening. Yeah. And, and what I liked when we worked together was you kept saying, be curious about what's actually going on, yeah. which, which was a, a surprise to me. Um, so, yeah, in, in, so you got led into this work by someone holding stillness for you and realizing yeah. what the reality of this mindfulness seeing clearly is. Yeah, yeah. Some people would just think, oh, that was lovely, thanks very much. Yeah. But somehow it's led you into doing it as a as a job. Even. Yeah. Why was that? Um well as I was saying, it wasn't I mean that was part that was part of it. But there was also it's 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 really difficult to explain, but there's there was there's been other things as well that have happened, mm. and like quite you know traumatic for me things in my life that have happened, and somehow I've just found that place um, of, of of it just goes still. Mm. And I don't think I've been ever too afraid. Well, I haven't been afraid of going there in to be with that. And I think that uh, has been made me really curious about all of this, you know, because as you said, most people, when you experience difficulty, you can't handle it. You don't want to be here. It's like no. having a flush and just taking your clothes off or having to get up and walk out of the room, you know. Oh, you know, or, or resisting, rejecting it. Mm. And actually, it's interesting to be with it, but there's a subtle difference to being with it and not being consumed by it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah. I'm trying to think about the other occasions, you know, where, you know, it was that I just... 
Um, I just, I, I think, Adrian, I've always, when I came to know about and learn about mindfulness, it was almost as though something was saying, this is who you are. Mm. And I didn't know it. And suddenly there was there was a practice and there were people saying these things and be with it. Don't don't resist it. Go be with it. Mm. Find your way through it kind of thing. And it just was speaking my language, a language which was a truth already in me. Yeah. Really deeply resonated with me. Um and which just absolutely just drew me in to want to know more about this because it was suddenly like I was discovering something about myself that had been there all of the time. And I remember when I started doing this, there was a few people and at school and stuff who said, God, you know, how did you not know that this wasn't who you were? You know, yeah, so yeah. almost like going into it was just a self-realization. Um but yeah, that experience of of stillness, and then I loved what you were saying about the nature because I think this is it, where people just have a yearning to get outside and to go to be in those places as you did, you know, um, and that the that the environment for us, the natural environment, holds that stillness, and people might not have recognised um, it in that same way. As, as one person can do it for another, but it is there and it is unconditional mm. and it is loving us. It is just waiting for us to keep returning again and again to it, isn't it? The, the, I find that really interesting. The, there's a, <clears throat> a Wordsworth piece uh, that David White used with us when we were up on Helm Crag, which is another part of that. Yeah. Ridge uh, above Grasmere, um, and it, it, I'm not going to read it all, but he talks about coming home. It's it's early in the morning. He's been at a party, and the dawn. He says, um, "The morning rose in memorable pomp, glorious as e'er I had beheld. The sea lay laughing at a distance, near the solid mountains shone. It's it's just beautiful grain tinctured. He says, which is red." drenched in imperial light, Um, all the sweetness of a common dawn. Mm. And he says, he's talking to uh, Coleridge, ah, need I say, dear friend, that to the brim my heart was full. I made no vows, but vows were made for me. Bond unknown to me was given, that I should be, else sinning greatly, a dedicated spirit. On I walked in blessedness which still has yet survives. Mm. That's when he becomes a poet. Yeah. In his own life story. Yeah. is his life story. And, and you, it sounded to me like people were saying to you, how come you've never realised this before? This is who you are. And you said that about yourself. Bond unknown to me was given. Mm. That I should be a dedicated spirit. I think he's describing that lovely... Yeah. Um, experience yeah. where you click yeah. with what you're about. Yeah. Um, and I've I've felt that probably two or three times in my life, but but most in in, in being someone who writes and, and shares yeah. poetry. Um, yeah. 
And it seems to me that's what you're describing, what you do. Yeah, I think um, absolutely. And it is the, it's what I've seen and what I felt experienced as a result of being with and not running away from that which is challenging and difficult has been my greatest moments you know has been my has been my growth and awakening um and and i just um i don't want them i don't want you know because it's hard and it's uncomfortable and i don't like it yeah but it is I can't deny that there isn't some great opportunity there. And I think that that's so missed um, by people, you know? I, I agree with you. And I think so much of what my perception of mindfulness was and quite a lot of, of the, what five ten years ago people called new age things was was that they were all very um i'll use a pejorative airy fairy yeah you know what use is this kind of thing yeah Uh, so and my experience of my anxiety when i had a breakdown was of feeling terrified Mm. of everything um and, and my therapist, who was a Jungian, saying to me, this could be the best thing that ever happened to you. And, I, and thinking, I'm not sure who's mad here. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that deep encouragement that she gave, she held stillness for me mm. and gave me the encouragement to sit with this. Mm. And it was awful. I mean, there's no other way of describing it. I couldn't. There would have been no way that I could sit and do a, a te- even a 10-minute quietness. Mm. It, I would have ended up feeling terrible. Mm. But I could walk. And that was my way into to holding some kind of stillness with myself, mm. was, was to walk um, long distances sometimes mm. and, 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 and allow... Allow it to be, I suppose, which which was a massive fight. It took me months and months to to come to some acceptance. Yeah. That that this you know this was anxiety, and I had to I, I had to be with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think what you're saying is is uh, a powerful thing. Yeah. And and that must take some. Uh, you know, some ability and skill to help people sit with difficult things? I suppose, yes. Um, It depends how... um, It depends how uh, deeply that wants to go. I mean, there are... I do do work with people as one-to-ones, but it has has a lot of the time been groups. Uh And I suppose... In those groups, you won't go so you won't go so deeply. But I'm always leading them in in that direction. Yeah. You know what they then how they then choose to do that, and I'm here for guidance. If you know if if they yeah. choose, it's almost like um, 
just you know you want to provide the tools you want to 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 say there's another way here you know because what we've been what you've been doing isn't kind of working out for you there is another there's another way of being with this yeah there is another way and and I think that's it when you are lost in your conscious mind you're thinking problem solving mind you yeah. can't see that there's another way you can't see that there's a choice there is no choice uh, absolutely you know but but there but in bringing people to um experience the body sensations you know as a grounding technique of, mm-hmm. of coming into the present moment um and being here just, just to let as you said the time settle mm-hmm. um is is a, is um well not only is it is absolutely amazing for us physiologically because mm. it is shutting down your nervous system you're giving yourself a break you literally lower the adrenaline and cortisol that keeps coming into your bloodstream when you keep thinking you know um, <laughs> I know <laughs> um, so yeah. it's important in in that respect um. And as I was saying, in, in my experience, can sometimes just help you to see something a little bit more clearly. And um, there was something you were saying about accepting, you know, your, your experience. It took me a long time, he said. And what I wanted to, to just say is this, that we, when we feel anxiety, when we experience anxiety, I'm saying to people, it's okay but they're going, it's not okay. It isn't okay. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't used to be like this and yeah. want to be like this. And this is, this is getting in the way of what I want to do. And this isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And I should be able to cope with it. I had it before I could cope with it. And I, oh, and everything. It's not okay. So it's helping people to come to a place of saying, you know, when we, you know, when we are resisting, we're pushing away or we're reaching out to this place where I would rather be, this yeah. place where I want to be, I want to be better and I don't want this and I don't want to be like this. We are never getting anywhere. No. We can't reach there. Mm. And the only way, in my experience, that we can start to take those tentative steps forward in the right direction is actually by um, allowing things to be as they are and saying, do you know what? I might not like this. I might not like this happening to me. I might not like where I am. I might prefer to be somewhere different. But, you know, in this moment where I can see clearly, this is what is happening to me. Yeah. You know, it's what who was it, Carl Rogers, that said about that curious paradox when I can accept myself as I am, uh-huh. then I can change. Yeah. And it is that curious paradox, isn't it? Uh, a psychotherapist, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Rogerian um, yeah. psychotherapy, non judgmental, just yeah. allowing. And, and, and it's like, it's okay. I know this isn't where you want to be. I'm not asking you to love it. <laughs> no. I'm not I'm not asking you to do something which will create more resistance. No. Biting you into a space where we want to let go of that 
tension where we want or we want to acknowledge it. And I think even just by simply acknowledging that resistance, when you look at things and just allow it, mm. the releasing of it. I, I yeah, it it took me a long time of of, of doing that of accepting. Okay, I mean that was the big thing for me is is I thought the feelings I was having were about I was dying or I'd got something dreadful wrong with me. And so the first step was just to say, actually, this is just anxiety. Yeah. And um, I found a list of symptoms and thought, oh my goodness, that's it. Yeah. Um, and then this is, we're talking weeks, months of saying, okay, this is it. This is anxiety. Here it is. Yeah. How do I how do I sit with it? Yeah. Um, and I did all those things that you said, you know, I don't want to be here. This isn't me. You know, I took medication. For some people that helps didn't help me at all. Just made me more anxious because I couldn't work out then what was the side effect and what was the yeah. actual condition. Yeah. Um but but yeah, I can see the value of 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 learning to accept this is where I am now. And that actually, that begins to change things. Yeah, I know. Did you have a, a poem, a, a piece that you might read? Yeah, I do. Um, well, I, I don't know which one would be more, um, which one would be more appropriate. You might get to do both at some point. Um, yeah, there's one that um, I'm just trying to think about what we've been talking about, and um, but those ones are just only real. Um, um, but you know how we've been talking about the natural world and yeah. you know talking about anxiety and you know about just that needing to that that, that place holds stillness for us and it isn't even the full poem um adrian okay you, but um it is from the piece of wild things oh yeah wendell berry yeah and he says, you know, when despair for the world in me grows, and, and I just that resonates with me because that was what I was talking to you about, you know? Absolutely, yeah. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound mm. and worry of what my life or my children's lives might be, I go down and lie where the wood drake rests his body by the beauty of the water and where the great heron feeds. They do not tax their minds on forethought or grief. And I come into the presence of the still night for a time. And I rest in the grace of the world and am free. That's lovely. Well read yeah. too. It's lovely. And you know, when you talk to even just the, I don't know, just my husband was just chatting with somebody that um, works, uh, I think, in, the, in school and, and he was asking her how she was. And, you know, just, um, and she just said, well, you know, been okay. And during this time. That yeah, we, yeah, lockdown, all that. Dead and I. I've seen the heron in the park. 
you know, that was the thing that she picked up on. She he was asking her about what the, you know, the good moments. And mm. it's so just often that people will, um, you know, comment on something like that, something natural, something that... It's like a visitation. Yeah. yeah. I love that poem. It, it encapsulates a huge amount of what I like about poetry. Yeah. yeah. A massive amount in a very short space. Yeah. That experience of waking in the night at the slightest sound, I yeah. remember that. And, and when I'm anxious, that happens to me and I can't get back to sleep. Um, and I, I, I have a poem about hearing foxes in the garden, which when they bark, they sound like children screaming. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what the hell it was. Yeah. Um, and the poem is, is a way of befriending that yeah. darkness and that sound. Yeah. Um, and he does that, you know, to, to the place where the drake makes his bed. Yeah. Um, and then he says, and I am free. Yeah. And that, that journey could be six months. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> it could be a year, it could be a lifetime. Yeah. But, but the act of faith at the end of that poem yeah. You could be free. Yeah. Uh, is fantastic. Yeah. It's so deftly expressed. Yeah. And you read it so well. Um, and it it leads you to a stillness. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. You just want to sit with that last line and go outside, and mm. you know, like today, such a sunny day, and just sit in the presence of nature and wild things. And I think wild things is important. Yeah, of course. And I think it just helps you to draw upon that strength that there is, look, don't, don't, we, we lose sight of the bigger picture, don't we, when we get lost in our heads and our anxiety. Um, those feelings of overwhelm, we are, you know, lost in the conscious mind, as I said, and we, you know, we, we can't think straight and, and, you know, then we worry about the anxiety and then that just leads to a heightened state of anxiety because your adrenals are continually kicking out. And, and it, it, if, you can, if you can do that, if you can be out there, it, it reminds you to, um, that, there are, that there are other things. Hey, do you know there's this, um, there's this little thing that uh, we talk about sometimes uh, in the sessions and... Um, it's about the salt in the lake and the salt in the basin, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Have I spoken to you about that? I think you might have done, but tell me anyway. <laughs> is it relevant? I don't know. Yes, yeah, very, very. Go on. That thing, isn't it, about, um, you know, when you feel so anxious um, and you're lost in, in your head and you're thinking um, about it all, it's like saying, um, see this cup of salt, uh, and the teacher saying to to the student, you know, pour this salt into this basin here of water. Mm. Right mm. now, taste it. Mm. It's horrendously, bleh, you know, bitter. And that is representative of how it is in our. Um, I'm just uh, yes, that's representative of how it is in in our in our minds. Um, with anxiety and when we're lost in it all and then the teacher says okay now take 
um, this cup of salt and going down to the lake's edge. And you imagine the big lake there. And you have the same cup of salt, the amount, and you pour it into the lake and the teacher says, okay, now taste the water. Mm. It's there, but it's not so consuming. And what helps you move from the from the bowl to the lake? Spaciousness. Right, okay. Creating <clears throat> spaciousness. So whether you are physically going outside, you know, and reconnecting. Yeah. Because I'm 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 remembering that there's a bigger picture going on here. You know, it's all carrying on and I'm lost in here and I can see the trees and I see the water's edge and I can feel the water on my feet and I can feel the sun on my skin and I, I connect to this larger spaciousness. Mm. What the story is actually saying is that meditation, mindfulness meditation, right. creates that spaciousness for us. Right. Whether we can, if we can go, whether we can go outside or we can't go outside, that we hold a space for ourselves, which is a larger space in which this can be held. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, have you personally? Are you someone who is anxious? Are you someone who who feels some of these things? Is that that part of your journey through this? Yeah. 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 And I think that that's kind of quite surprising for people if <laughs> <laughs> you do what you do. But don't many of us do what we do because it's ultimately been the biggest help. Yeah, there's, I always come back to the myth of Chiron. The, one of the, the, in Greek mythology, I don't know the story very well, but he's a centaur. Mm -hmm. And somehow he gets in the middle of a fight, and I can't. I think it's someone to, with Zeus and someone else. Yeah. And he gets hit with a. He's immortal, but he gets hit with a, 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 a spear or a javelin that is death to any mortal. So he has a mortal wound, but he can't die. Right. And he spends the rest of his time trying to find a cure for this wound mm. he never does but he becomes the symbol of healing uh, because he finds out just about every possible cure um, for everything else yeah and, and I know the myth of Kiron to me I've expressed it very badly but it it's a part I think when you are wounded, yeah, and and it, it's in a book that that my wife Wilma loves, and I can't remember the guy's name. But it's called the Wounded Healer. Um, yeah. that I think you always seek. You know what you're wounded by becomes that 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 uh, bond unknown to me was given. Yeah. You know, you, 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 it can become vocational. Absolutely, uh, which gives it. You know, a veracity. Yes. In in someone like you, you you know, I've heard you do meditations. You've led me through meditations. Yeah. You sound so wonderfully serene, and um, on top of things, and 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 that lovely voice leading you through. And so, for you to say, actually, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think actually is great. 
I think it begins to help people realise yeah. the journey we're all on all the time. And I also I also think it helps people to to recognise that um, we can hold a different sort of relationship for this in our lives and to recognise that it might not be something that I eradicate from my life. I'm not about, I'm not in the business of trying to get rid of this. No. I'm in the, the work of trying to enable us to establish a different kind of relationship with ourselves. Yeah. To enable that salt, as it were, to be there. But yeah. that it, it doesn't it doesn't consume us, you know? That's um, a, that. A different kind of relationship with ourselves. Yeah. That's a powerful thing to say. Yeah, it's all, for me, that this is all about developing that different relationship. And that is a skill, you know. Mm. It, it, you know, and people, are, you know, but people a lot at the moment, Adrian, are talking about being kinder to themselves. But you know what? Half of us don't really know what that means other than visiting a spa, you know, having the afternoon <laughs> off. Or, and, and those things are all great. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but what does it really mean is the kind of things that I try to talk about in, you know, in my sessions. Um, and it's about the way that we engage with ourselves on a, you know, a conversational level, being a critic, yeah. and being aware of it and noticing it. Mm. And only by coming aware of it and seeing it clearly do we have the opportunity to actually affect that and to do something differently. Mm. It can take a long time. I, I, I really like, I have a piece about dreaming um, and, and that sometimes our dreams begin to help us to have another type of relationship with ourselves. Yes. Um, and and the, the end of the piece is about that the dream could be the outlier of a new story you tell about yourself. Yeah. And... I think that's part of that conversational uh, issue that we have. What is the conversation I'm having with myself? How do I speak to myself? What story do I tell myself about myself? What story do I tell other people about myself? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I was working with someone yesterday and they were saying, um, you know, I, say, I, I, find, I catch myself saying these things about myself. And I realised, though I don't want to think that, that is what I think. Yeah. You know, it was it was about a particular issue. Yeah. And and they were telling themselves a story about that issue yeah. that they didn't like. Mm-hmm. I'd overheard themselves say it enough times to other people to mm-hmm. realise that is what they believed. Yeah. Um. So I think. I think you, you, that's something really profound. And poetry is all about the stories we're telling yeah. uh, about ourselves and about the world around us, yeah. using imagery to to capture, you know, like that, like Wendell Berry's piece that you read. Yeah. You know, when 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 I start worrying about the world my kids are going to inherit, yeah. you know, that's such a strong story. Uh, to tell about yourself yeah. um, and, and to be overwhelmed by that. Uh, 
So I, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm herbling on here to try and agree with you. <laughs> 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 we're talking about how we talk, how we tell stories about ourselves and the way we talk to ourselves, yeah. and the, the those narratives and 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 yeah. how it's good to be conscious of them. Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, on a very scientific kind of level, um, and all of the things that they know now about neuroplasticity and everything. I mean, you know, and and the all of the work um, that they've been doing to to understand the mind more and to you know when you actually start to go um, your thoughts you know these thoughts these things that you believe about yourself they're not actually they're not actually really they're not true uh. and you don't have to be that you don't have to be that but we choose to because it's so familiar we just hear it all the time and that's who I am you know. Mm. You know Eckhart, and I never, I never say his name right. It's either Tolle, it's either it's either Tolle or Toll. Yeah, um, I, I'll take either. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one that wrote the Power of Now. But he, that's right. Yeah, and he talks at such great length. He's amazing, of course, but he talks at such great length about the, the power of now, but how liberating it is in this moment that you are only who you truly are in this moment that that you remember about somebody well that was your memory of them um but they've changed now and a person is only ever who they really are in this moment and you start going into that and you go how liberating is that Mm. you know he talks about this meditation this moment this of stillness this just being here you know you are well, what are you? you know? What are you? You 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 aren't those thoughts. You are not God. You know what? And then you go. If you're not these thoughts, who the hell am I? If you're not these sensations, because who the hell am I? Yeah. And if you're not, if you you know, you know, it's in your breath. If you're not this breath, and you go, well, who are you? And then people freak out. <laughs> yeah, I, I I get that. I, I... But, but, the, but the thing is, is saying if I am not these things. Maybe I am the one who is watching. Yeah. I, I am, that is us as human beings have this, um, this incredible and unique ability to be able to be aware of all of these things. I am the awareness. I am the one who is watching. And I am the one in any moment that can decide how I interact, how I behave, how I speak. I say to myself, yeah, in any moment, the, in poetic terms, yeah, that is a that that realization. It's in that Wordsworth piece. Bond unknown was was made for me. Yeah. By whom? By the deepest part of you. Yeah. By the one who watches. Yeah. By the one who is always there. And, and psychologically, Jung's deep insight was that we have this deep self with a capital S that is, is often unconscious and through our lives becomes, rises up in us yeah. and displaces the, what you would probably call the, um, the strategic, the rational mind. 
he called it the ego, the, the I that thinks it's in charge, yes. and all the personas, all the coats that we put on yes. um, to tell people who we are. You know, I'm a dad, mm-hmm. I'm a teacher, uh, I'm a poet, I'm a this, I'm a that. And and this this deeper self says, well, sort of, you are, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, but, hey, in this moment, yeah. you're more than that, yeah. or you're not that. Or you, you, and, and Jung's one of his insights was that is actually a very scary moment. Yes, and I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't want to go there. Absolutely, I didn't, especially when you've got anxiety. Yeah. So you've got some kind of symptomatic yeah. reaction to the world around you, yeah. and, and then then someone you. says you're not that. You know, it's a bit like the the story of the man that's trying to get into the water that Jesus um, meets by the pool of Siloam, and he says, "What do you want me to do?" And he goes into this long rigmarole mm. about how when the angel disturbs the waters, blah blah blah, and I can't, and I don't get. And Jesus just says, "Well, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fine. What do you want me to do?" And you feel that moment of fear where he thinks, "Oh bloody hell!" Sorry, excuse my language. And if he if he takes this away. Who am I going to be? Yes, exactly. And it is so easy to become identified by our pathologies, mm-hmm. but it is it is a moment of yeah. existential fear yeah, yeah. to to think, who the hell am I then? Yeah. I remember that moment. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And and you described it with some optimism. Oh, you could be anyone. I was like, what if there's nothing? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> And, and it does, it represents quite a lot of fearfulness. And that's why, and, and a lot of people, um, and you know what, we're talking about this quite deeply here. You know, I don't tend to go into this, <laughs> you know, on a kind of like weekly basis or anything like that. And this is for, you know, those that are wanting uh, yeah. to, to that, that kind of conversation. Um, but but even even that, there's a lot of people who are afraid of just coming to that point of stillness because there's a fearfulness of what I might see. And I'm saying that that is not something that needs to be feared. Yeah. Um, but that maybe can only be discovered if we dare to dip our toe in, you know. Um, it's just a, it's a stillness. And, and I use these exercises to help ground people and just to bring ourselves to that place of calm. I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing any kind of... Um, you know anything more that is that is for yeah. people. um but but, but but i think that we are all on that journey you yeah. know whether we like it or not it yeah. seems to me and that's one of the gifts of poetry yeah and and of the work that you do we're all in this on this journey um of 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 awakening if you want to call it that or or you know we what hamlet says um all, all the the ills that that we are heir to, yeah. the, the 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 wounds and the brokennesses we're at, the, there is no escape from that. I know, um, and I suppose it's just meeting people with your work, with your poetry, your yeah. writing, with your meditation, yeah, whatever gift it is, and meeting people along their journey at wherever they are, and 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 walking with them, isn't it? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting how this all unfolds and this conversation goes, isn't it? Um, yeah. we were 
because we were talking about the kindness to self and yeah started from that and that that is not an easy thing um and it isn't an easy thing to receive kindness no i think it's the one thing that everybody finds the most difficult um but i really love and i you know people that know me know this well but I do I never make an apology for reminding reminding about it um but it was Professor Mark Williams um who said to who said to Ruby Wax when she was doing her mindfulness degree you know she says I I just have such difficulty you know with this whole being kind to myself thing and he said you know what Ruby just remember that observing your own breathing is a simple kindness oh. and that just you know where is, is mark williams is he the is he, he a mindfulness yes he is he is the um in particularly in our country but known worldwide the co-founder of the mbct programs um which is mindfulness-based cognitive therapy based at oxford center for mindfulness um right Yes, he has uh, written many books and is an amazing, um, yeah, one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, should I like have... that, that, that breathing, just breathing, well, is a, a kindness. Yeah. Because, you, do you know what, and the, the funny thing about it is, is that for all of us that find this kindness difficult, you cannot not accept that, can you? No. You cannot not accept your own breath. <laughs> and it's almost like... Yes, in this moment, I don't have to do anything. It's just happening. And I'm noticing it and I cannot not receive it. I think it's a lovely um, way of starting. In it's, on it's that idea. You, know, I've, you hear people say there's nothing in this world for free. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest lies that people tell. Yeah. yeah. It, I, the, I'm, I'm rubbish at science. Um, but I do remember the word autonomic, which is what breathing is. Yes. It just happens. Yes. And having seen a baby, when Laura was born, she was premature. And there's a response that when a baby is born and it cries, there's a hormone release and it shuts a, um, a duct in the heart that stops you having maternal circulation to having your own circulation. Right. Um, the patent duct, it's called. And it's the shock of coming into the world that shuts this duct. But because Lara was premature, it opened again. Right. And they had to give her caffeine, interestingly, to shut it because it meant that the blood wasn't going to the lungs. And her lungs were bad enough as it is, so it, it was scary. But, but I think that... That the body, our bodies are so extraordinary, and we don't have to think about any of that. It just happens. Yeah. Um, it's a gift. Yeah. And and there is that everything in life is given to us like that. Bond unknown to me was given. You know that yeah. the 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 deeper part of ourself is is actually on our side. Even when it erupts and causes us to feel all of these things in in reaction to a difficult world, yeah, we're just coming to the end. So, um, 
I've, I've got a piece I want to read at the end about haste. Yeah. About going too fast. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a there's a, a a Latin phrase festina lente, which means make haste slowly. Yeah. So I just wondered I, I, if if you had anything to say about your experience of of how this how 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 we can go too fast and how to slow down. I mean, you're a bit like me. You always strike me as someone that's got lots of things going on and and kind of going from one thing to another. <laughs> yeah. How do you slow down? Yeah. How do you how do you slow yourself down? You have to make time. You just have to, you know, and, and everybody's there wanting to do the same. They want to slow down, but they haven't got time. It's like saying, I want to be calmer. I don't want to be so reactive. I, I want to feel calmer, but actually I haven't got the time to do the things that I need to do that. Um, and the bizarre thing is, is that by making time, and it doesn't have to be long, 10 minutes, you know, um, but by doing that, it, it, it's an insane again paradox but in doing that as a as a discipline you know as for giving that to yourself you actually feel like you have more time you don't but it feels like you do because yeah. you create that spaciousness for yourself and it's something that you carry within you during the day that you kind of you can recall more easily because it wasn't too long ago that I felt that stillness mm -hmm. and I know that I can just tap into it again so it's almost like a physical memory. Physical memory, yeah. A, a bodily, a bodily yeah. sensation of spaciousness. Yes, and also the reminder to yourself, are you inhabiting this body now? When you ask that question, I'm sorry I'm going on and we need to finish. But it's no, it's all right. No, go on. You know, are you inhabiting this body now? Or are you just vaguely aware that you have one? <laughs> um, and... I, you know, when you ask that question, that you kind of like the front of your body sort of like stops, yeah, and it, it's sort of still, and you go, yeah, all right, I'm here, <laughs> um, and and that and that slows you down, um, just helps to just slow you down because if you're not here and you're not inhabiting this body now, what are you saving yourself for? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're never getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read the piece and then we'll finish it. We'll, we'll have a final little. So it's yeah. haste. You want to rush, get to the end, work it out, have it solved. Who wouldn't? But the cost, who pays the price of all this haste? A friend of mine knew Miraben, Gandhi's English companion. Her story, when the Mahatma found himself without a pencil, she tore off to find it returning breathless with the prize and was rewarded with the words, Miraban, all haste is violence. Carl Jung was fond of this adage, all haste is of the devil. He would sit and pause after every sentence of his writing. Those gaps informed his genius as he mapped out our psychic topography, escaping the diabolical lie that time is always running away. Even the Roman Emperor, Augustus, deploring rashness, 
for a logo had a crab and a butterfly with the motto, Festina Lente, make haste slowly. Later, the Tuscan Medici's tortoise with a sail on its back reminded them of those vineyards slowly maturing, followed by a measured harvest, yielding their waiting's ripeness. How much pain could we save ourselves by recalling every journey ends in rest, death's sacramental common? Why hurry towards it when there is such bounty in the lives of those we rush past? So much truth for us in the eyes of those we try and fix with unseemly haste. So much ripeness unharvested when we gather in too soon. So much to be gained when we make haste slowly. Mm. I love that. It's a kind of admonition to myself. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking something, Adrian, when you were reading that as well. Um, and that is that, you know, we were talking about awareness, this stepping back and being able to see. And, that, you know, I always remember the words of John Kabat-Zinn, who um, is, was absolutely instrumental in bringing mindfulness to our Western culture. Right. Um, I remember listening to him in a lecture saying, you know, you can rush in haste, but you can be aware that you're doing it. Yeah. And in the awareness of it can help you to even slow down. You know, you were saying, how do you slow down? And I'm going, oh, well, you know what? It takes 10 minutes every day. <laughs> well, you know, that's not always helpful for people. But no. I'm saying I find it helpful for me. But also it isn't just that because it's how that spills out into other areas. You know, just even being aware that you are rushing, that you are aware in, in haste, that you can move quickly. You know, a lot of people think that this is about really going slowly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that just pisses everybody else off who gets behind <laughs> you. And and it isn't it's just about being aware. You can rush and you can be in haste, but you can be aware that you are doing so. And somebody said to me, who I've worked with before last week, she said, um, I still do it. She said, I was rushing here. And she said, um, I'm saying to myself, this is you rushing. This is you rushing. And she said, it really helps, you know, just noticing the haste. I think that make haste slowly. You That's can, it. You can move. You can be going somewhere fairly fast, but within yeah. There can be a, a slowing and a, and, a, and a settling into your body. It was exactly that when you said it that made me think, yeah. It's powerful. Um, and, and it makes me realise one of the disciplines I've learned over the years is, you know, there are only a certain amount of things you can really do in a day. Yeah. And just by cramming in more things, that's what caused my breakdown to a certain extent trying to cram in more things so I could get to the things I want to do. Yes. And it, it, it just overloaded my system. Uh, yeah. So learning by making haste slowly, I, can't, I won't get to that. And to be honest and to say to someone, I, I won't get to that today. Yeah. I'm not going to get there, you know, or, or, or to a boss even or to someone you work with. You know, this is, this is how much I'll be able to do. Yeah. Um, and, and I take responsibility for that. Yeah. Um, and and I think of all those people that can't, you know, delivery people and all of that. And 
and the madness of the world we live in, if we could learn to make haste slowly, it might not cause, you know, the poem says about what's the cost? The cost is the environment. The cost is our health. Fiona, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Um, And and I can't believe that we've gone over an hour now. Um, But um, thank you. I just want to thank you. Say thank you. um, And um, I look forward to the occasion. Thank you. I'm so honoured. Thank you, Adrian. You can find more episodes of the Anxious Poets podcasts and mini poem casts wherever you get your podcasts from. The Anxious Poets podcast is what to search for. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Fiona. Sorry the quality is not brilliant, but it was recorded on Zoom. Go well. See you again. Bye.